0: I wanted to, uh, get everybody's voices in the room because, uh, partly just to acknowledge that we have a range of different levels of experience here. Quite a few with a lot of experience, a few with not so much experience. But just to acknowledge that whether you're quite new to insight meditation or whether you've done numerous retreats over many years, Even so, arriving for the start of a retreat can be quite a a little bit unsettling. It can be quite an abrupt transition to extricate ourselves from our busy lives and race up the mountains and leave behind our familiar friends and family and find ourselves in this group of people you probably don't know so well and to be moving into this more contemplative mode of really turning our attention inwards. So to help with that transition, I'd like to take some time to really establish what I think of as a strong container for our practice, a strong container so that we can really get the most out of our time here together. And when I use the word container, I sometimes think of a a woven basket. You know, many cultures have these beautiful woven baskets that they use to keep their treasures in. And so sometimes I think of that as a metaphor for what we're doing here, that every one of us is really a strand of that basket. And together we're stronger than we are by ourselves. And we're creating this space, this place of holding for each of us to go inwards and to do this work of actually connecting you could say with our heart treasure so in some buddhist t- traditions they talk about our buddha nature which you could think of as really being our highest potential as a human being what is our full potential our full capacity this Concept or understanding of Buddha nature is not something that we get from out there. It's actually already within us. But for most of us, it needs a little polishing. It needs a little bit of attention to help it really start to come forth and to develop. So that's what we're doing here on this retreat, is really going inwards, looking inwards, and cultivating what's good in us, what's of true value. So to put this in more traditional Buddhist terms, we could think of this as an aspect of what's known as taking refuge. And in the Buddhist tradition, before we start any period of intense intensive meditation, it's traditional to, to, to take refuge in what are known as the Three Jewels. These Three Jewels are the Buddha himself, the Dharma or the truth, the truth of his teachings also, and the Sangha, or the community of people who are exploring these teachings together. So these traditionally are the three jewels. And again, we have that idea of treasure. And this um, taking refuge is an invitation, not an expectation. So I'll just give you an overview so you might find perhaps your own way of relating to what these three jewels are said to represent. Because I know for myself, when I first heard this term, taking refuge, I thought, well, what's that about? I'm not a refugee. I had this idea that it was somehow um, going to make me dependent or, or something. But what I didn't understand was back then was that, although I had this idea that I was independent, if I looked more closely at my life, I actually already was taking refuge in plenty of things. So we can see when we look more closely that many of us do have tendencies or habits of taking refuge in all kinds of things that perhaps are not so supportive. Things like taking refuge in busyness and overwork is becoming more and more common. You know, if we're just constantly on the go, we never actually have to stop and think. We never actually pay attention to our hearts and get to learn who we are, how we are and how to behave to respond more skillfully in the world. We can take refuge in substances like alcohol and drugs. We can take refuge in all other kinds of addictions, addictions to technology, to computers, to sex or to food or to shopping. You know, There's many different ways that we can distract ourselves. And of course, it's not that these things in and of themselves are wrong or bad. I'm, what I'm pointing to here is the relationship to them whether there's some kind of compulsive, addictive quality in relation to them, that is what's not so healthy or supportive. So these things can be temporary refuges, but they're often also quite toxic in the longer term to our hearts and minds. So in the Buddha's teachings, we're offered a different kind of refuge, one that does help us to see more clearly and to see through delusion, to see through delusion and to wake up. This is the original, original meaning of the word Buddha. So Buddha is actually a kind of title that means the awakened one. And it's said that when the Buddha was asked who he was, He would simply say, I'm awake, I'm awake, I've woken up from delusion. So when we're invited to take refuge in the Buddha, we can think of it, as I said earlier, as really about cultivating our own highest potential, our own awakeness. Because, as you know, the Buddha was not a god. So it's not that we're cultivating some kind of dependent relationship on him or trying to um, develop belief systems of any kind. We're instead orienting towards his example of inner exploration, deeply understanding our own hearts and minds so that we can live with more ease and freedom in the world. So this ease and freedom really comes from living in alignment with the truth of how things are rather than how we'd like them to be, our fantasies and expectations and hopes and manipulations to make things how we'd like them to be, which is where most of us generally put a lot of our energy trying to manipulate our external conditions in order to find happiness. And even though this is often only partly successful, somehow we just keep trying. But what the Buddha is inviting us to do is rather than putting all our energy out there, trying to control circumstances out there, he's asking us to bring our attention inwards and to understand our own hearts and minds so that we can live in accordance with the truth of how things are. And this is the Dharma The truth, the natural law, the Buddha's teachings that help us see that truth, that help us to see clearly. So this word dharma refers to the teachings that help us understand the truth. And because, as many of you pointed to, these teachings are both subtle and very profound, we need the support of like-minded people to help us stay on track. So this is the third refuge, taking refuge in the Sangha, which was traditionally, is traditionally the monks and nuns, the uh, monastic Sangha, and also can be expanded to include everybody who's trying to follow this path. So here we are exploring the Noble Eightfold Path. We are also a Sangha for each other. We need this uh, shared intention to wake up because it's not easy to do this uh, work. The Buddha sometimes referred to it as swimming upstream. Perhaps some of you have had that sense of it. We need role models to inspire us. And we need each other to offer moral support. So you might even imagine trying to do something like this week totally by yourself. I think most people would find that pretty challenging. So we can take refuge in the Sangha to receive support, but we also offer support to each other. Even though we're in silence, just this sitting together, showing up, doing the sitting, doing the walking, coming here uh, is an offering. So we both receive support and we can offer support. We're all in this together, and together we create something stronger than our own individual practice. So with this orientation to taking refuge, to cultivating our own capacity to develop wisdom and compassion, we've actually already started to develop the first factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is right or appropriate view. So we're on our way. So we have the support of these three jewels and of taking refuge. We have another very powerful support, which is uh, the commitment to what's known as noble silence, which means not speaking to each other unnecessarily, not using body language to communicate, to some extent minimizing eye contact, and not using mobile phones or electronic devices. And sometimes people say, well, why is this noble? What makes this silence noble? Because in mainstream society, silence can have some quite unpleasant connotations. But what makes noble silence noble is this capacity to help us go inwards, to learn how to free our hearts and minds from unhelpful habits. So this silence is really a gift that lets us befriend ourselves. We get to know ourselves better so that from our own friendship to ourselves, when eventually we do come out of silence, we're in a better position to be able to befriend others as well. So this silence is not a tight, cold or hard or rigid silence, but really a way of giving each other space. It's a gift that we offer each other. So I really encourage you to do your best to support this. It might seem like a quick text message or going for a little walk with a friend is not that challenging, but Every time our energy is pulled away from this container, it can have a a ripple out effect. So just an invitation to really um, do your best to maintain the silence. Because in the context of the Noble Eightfold Path, it's actually an aspect of right speech. So in a retreat setting, right speech is defined as maintaining noble silence. So we have the support of the three jewels of the silence and we also have the support of the precepts, which, as you may know, um, are included under, some of them are included in the Eightfold Path Factor of Right Action. All of this training that we're doing is fundamentally rooted in non-harming not hurting ourselves, not hurting others. So in the Buddhist tradition, when we start a period of practice like this, we usually formally take what are known as the five training precepts. And these are guidelines that we agree to commit to as protection for others and as protection for ourselves. And they're rooted in this commitment to non-harming. And I sometimes mentioned that, um, you know, it can be easy to take these for granted and think, well, of course I'm not going to kill anything, I'm not going to steal anything, I'm not going to misuse my sexual energy, I'm not going to lie because I'm going to be in silence and there's no wine, so I'm not going to be breaking the fifth precept. And we can be a little bit sort of blasé about them. But I sometimes share the experience I had in the U.S. when I was volunteering in a men's prison and I was living at IMS at the time. And at IMS, everyone formally undertakes the five precepts. So staff, teachers, visitors, students, everyone. And that creates a certain atmosphere. And then every Sunday I would go to the men's prison and spend two or three hours there in an environment where people are definitely not keeping the precepts, that there are actually some of them, not all of them, but some of them actively looking for opportunities to break the precepts. And that creates a very different atmosphere. You maybe can imagine the contrast between IMS and that prison setting. So here we're maintaining the five precepts and just taking a moment now to appreciate how supportive that is if you can imagine trying to do the same practice in the context where people are not maintaining the precepts, it's quite a, quite a challenge. So the first training precept is to undertake the training to refrain from harming any living beings, not to kill things. So just as we ourselves recognize the value of our own lives and want to support it, we recognize that all other beings also want to live, want to survive. So we make this commitment to not harm them, not only other humans, but mammals, insects, birds, fish, every living being, any being that if we were to strike at it would move away from us. So any sentient being, in other words. And this can be a mindfulness training when we might see those Um, life forms that we perhaps don't generally value so much, like mosquitoes or slugs or snails. Can we include them in this precept? The second one, I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered, which on its most basic level is not stealing anything, but it's deliberately more subtly worded than that. So it's inviting us to bring mindfulness to see has this pen or this piece of cake or this shawl really being freely offered or am I just helping myself because it's convenient? So again, it's inviting a more refined level of mindfulness. And then the third one, to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. In the context of a retreat, this means complete celibacy. So really taking care with our sexual energy. To not engage in any sexual activity that involves harming oneself or others, either physically or emotionally. And in the context of a retreat in the silence, you know, it's just minimizing any sort of flirtatious behavior, even in the silence. But just to notice if our sexual energy is activated and to make that commitment to not express it outwardly to others. And then the fourth one, I undertake the training to abstain from false speech. On the most obvious level is not to tell lies, not to speak untruths. And in the context of a retreat, it's expressed as noble silence. And sometimes we might think, well, you know, in silence, this is going to be easy. I'm not going to lie. But sometimes in the silence, what becomes more predominant is actually our mental chatter, the things that we tell ourselves, the thoughts uh, that go through our minds. And in the refinement of the practice, we might start to notice is some of what I think actually categorized as right speech or not can be very interesting sometimes to hear the tone of voice even that we sometimes internally talk to ourselves. So again, this um, precept can become quite refined. And then the last one, I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the heart and mind. So this involves all recreational uh, drugs and alcohol. Because obviously in this context, that would be counterproductive to developing the clarity of mind and heart that we're really um, training in here. This uh, precept, it doesn't include prescription medications. So if you're taking prescriptions, that's not an intoxicant. So by all means, continue to keep uh, taking those. So I'd like to offer us the opportunity to take these precepts together in English in call and response. So I'll say each one first and then we can say it again together. So the first one, I undertake the training to refrain from harming any living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from harming any living beings. The second one, I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. The third one, I undertake the training to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. I undertake the training to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. The fourth one, I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the heart mind and lead to carelessness. I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the heart mind and lead to carelessness. Thank you. So now we have these outer supports for our practice, the three jewels, the noble silence, the training precepts. I'd like to take just a couple more minutes to explore some of the inner supports for the practice. These are some attitudes of mind or some mental qualities that can really help to establish a good foundation for our meditation practice. And the first of these is the quality of goodwill or kindness or metta, to use the Pali word. Pali is the language that the teachings were originally transmitted in. So metta is basically an open and receptive quality of heart and mind, an attitude of what we could think of as kind curiosity towards ourselves and others and towards every aspect of our experience. And we can find this um, metta is actually included in the Noble Eightfold Path as an aspect of right thought or right intention. And later on in the retreat, we'll be cultivating it more directly as a formal meditation practice. But for now, I'm inviting you just to remember it as an attitude, an inner attitude, an invitation to help meet your experience with kindness rather than resistance. So, for example, right now in this moment, you might notice perhaps varying degrees of perhaps discomfort or um, physical discomfort or maybe some mildly, hopefully mildly unpleasant mind states or moods, tiredness, dullness, aches, pains, agitation, and so on. So is it possible to just meet that with, okay, this is how it is right now. It's okay. Can I meet that with kindness? Just a sort of an inner, oh, hello. Hello, anxiety. Hello, tiredness hello, backache, hello, sleepiness, it's okay. It's just that very gentle inclination towards metta rather than resistance or struggle. So the second inner training that I'd like to explore now is the quality of aspiration or intention. And this too is an aspect of the Noble Eightfold Path in the form of right thought or right intention, really having clarity about what we're putting our time and energy towards so that we can make the most of being here. And I often like to start a retreat by giving us some time to actually reflect on that and to write down just a few lines about what you discover because it can be helpful to verbalize it silently on paper And then if you would like to put that paper in the glass bowl here so that we have a visual reminder of our intentions for this retreat. So I'm going to give us some time in a few minutes just to settle in and really listen to your uh, deeper heart aspirations and see if you can just verbalize them in a couple of sentences. And at the same time, while you're coming to the front, if you would like to relinquish your phone or your technology, you're welcome to do that. So the second container is for that. There are some sticky pads there and a pen. You just might want to put your name on your phone. So if you did have to get it back, it will be easy to find. So again, that's both of these are an invitation. So taking a moment now just to... Perhaps close the eyes and to reflect, if you can remember back that far, what motivated you to sign up for this particular retreat, this exploration of the Noble Eightfold Path. Perhaps taking a moment just to tune in to anything that you would like to receive from this time of being on retreat. Perhaps some qualities that you would like to strengthen or deepen. And perhaps also some habits of mind that you might like to release. I'm thinking in terms of what you would like to receive from the retreat, what you might like to release. And also what you might like to offer to being here. Perhaps showing up wholeheartedly or doing your best to stay present or offering some openness and kindness whatever it might be. Taking a moment to contact these different qualities. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org donate.